today's part, I'm with Howard Borrington, who's a member of the committee at Rainbow Devils, the group that supports and represents LGBTQ plus fans of Manchester United. Howard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Thanks for inviting me on. No, thanks for coming. Well, it's Pride Month and uh, we, we'd like to touch on a number of issues on this podcast, but I think we haven't given this full representation. So I wanted to bring you on, talk about the group, understand your role with the club, some of the sentiment of the fans who are part of your group and dive into some of the issues. And we'll just have the normal chat. So tell us about Rainbow Devils. So we've got the permanent flag up at Old Trafford now. That's a reasonably recent addition. Yes. Um, I, I, and presume that's your group that, that campaigned for that one. And, and tell us about the group more generally. Okay, yes. Yeah, so um, the group was the idea, um, actually, of our chair, Eric Najib, who also manages Stonewall FC, one of the LGBTQ plus football teams, quite well known in the country. They play in the Middlesex Premier League. And Eric has been a long-time Manchester United supporter as well. Uh, and like lots of gay football supporters hid that for a long time I, I certainly did uh, and I've been going since the 1970s so I think through him um, and the fact that we were seeing that a lot of other football clubs had established LGBTQ plus supporters clubs that we thought it was about time uh, Manchester United did the same and he approached the club and had a number of discussions with the diversity lead uh, at Manchester United and, and others in 2019 uh, and basically had a launch event at Old Trafford um, with some people from the club. One of, one of the ex-players was there. I think it was Andy Cole, actually, if I'm correct, and got sort of buy-in that, that, that we could do this and we would do this. Um, but the club were very clear, and I think this is quite right, that it needed to be led by the fans and led by the supporters for the supporters. They didn't want to see it as a club initiative in that sense. And I think that's quite quite right in a way it's a bit like i set up our lgbt network at my employer um and it was a similar thing really it needed to be employee led we didn't want it to be seen as a an hr initiative mm. so on along similar lines really so the idea was was there and the agreement was there to do something in 2019 i i met eric uh, through a mutual friend and we we started sort of talking about this in sort of early 2020 um, and starting to develop some of the broader ideas about what we wanted to achieve. The fact we wanted to put a, a sort of a committee together to enact our objectives and have certain responsibilities in certain areas. So whether that's social media, communication with the club, how we're going to sort of spend whatever money we might have or might social events, etc. And so a group of us, um, sort of basically all United supporters, some of whom Eric knew and invited along to a, to a meeting. Others where we just sort of reached out more broadly among, amongst the fan base. And we had a sort of a pre-match meeting at Old Trafford in March 2020 on the day that uh, we beat Manchester City 2-0. And you'll remember the, the yeah. great Scott McTominay goal yes. at the end in the pouring rain. And that, as it turned out, unbeknown to all of us, was three days before we got the lockdown for COVID, the UK lockdown. Um, That's right, and then yeah. obviously everything that followed from that, no supporters at games for, for pretty much the whole of the, the rest of that season and the following season. So it sort of, it sort of stymied a little bit in terms of what we've been planning to do 
match day engagement, social events, trying to build the, the supporter network, etc. However, it did give us an opportunity. All, all, we were a really big support network to each other through the whole of COVID, actually. All, all the people that had right. met before that Manchester City match. And we, we've become really, really close, a close-knit community, really good friends because, of, because we, were, I, we were all going you know, mental like everybody else, not being able to go out and do things. But we were all communicating with each other and we were having sort of Zoom meetings and Skype meetings, et cetera, to sort of talk about what we were going to do once normality returned and since we've all been been able to go back to football things have really really taken off so we've we've gone from having very few uh, members to now having over 700 active right. uh, members of the of the of the rainbow devil supporters club as you referenced we worked really hard and credit to eric and others with with manchester united to to get the rainbow devils banner in the stadium and it's in a really prominent position, yeah. uh, you know, just near the Stretford end on the Alex Ferguson stand. And, and you'll have probably noticed yourself when you, when you watch match day interviews from the pitch side, et cetera, quite often they're stood with their back near the Stretford end. They're stood with their back to the Alex Ferguson stand. So our banner is quite prominent, actually, when, when, when there's a lot of TV coverage. So... Yeah, so we've, and we've, ordered, we've organized social events uh, match on match days. We marched in Manchester Pride uh, last year. We're doing the same again this year. So it's really just been fantastic. We've, we've been communicating to supporters. We've done a recent survey on what their views were, were on the various ownership issues. More from a, more from a sort of a, a Rainbow Devils perspective rather than do you think this person or that group or that w would invest more in the club or buy players, you know, or sure. be better for the squad. No, it wasn't really about that. It was more about how do people feel in terms of their own sort of personal circumstances and situation. Because obviously there's a, there's a, there's a clear difference in, I think, in the supporters, certainly from the Rainbow Devils point of view, as to who they would prefer. And a lot of that is obviously driven by the broader sort of attitudes to LGBTQ plus people in certain parts of the world. So, which, yeah. you know, won't be a, won't be a surprise to you or to, or to anybody else. But yeah, so really good communication with the supporters. We, we, we do a, a regular email update on what we're, what we're doing, what events are coming up, pre-match socials, did one for the FA Cup final, did one for the uh, Carabao Cup final, sometimes in Manchester, sometimes in London, sometimes both. So yeah, it's been really good. We've got some merchandise and we're constantly looking at what else we can do. One of the, one of the things we've worked really closely with the club on um, in, recent, in recent times is making uh, supporters more generally aware of, of some of the sort of homophobic issues that still exist in football. Yeah, yeah. Recently, there was the, the call from the club to stop the, the chanting at the Chelsea match. Yes, yes. I think you put out some communication about that as well. I mean, I guess that's one of the issues that still rears its head in football. Uh, I mean, I well, tell me your perspective. My perspective is, I, I think, there's less homophobia today, but it's still prominent, right? Yeah. So. It, well, it, there is there is less. That that's certainly true. And of course, now it's it's uh, it's a criminal offence um, anyway. Uh, and the Chelsea, singing the Chelsea song um, is also now a, a criminal offence. And I think what we were keen to do, and we worked very closely with the Chelsea group, Ch Chelsea Pride, uh, and then with the club, 
was really to just to ed, try and educate people. And, and that's not meant to be in a patronizing way, but I think a lot of supporters who use that song perhaps don't understand the meaning of it or where it came from or how offensive it is, not only to to Chelsea people and, and Chelsea fans and, and, and Chelsea players, presumably, but also to, to a lot of Manchester United fans, especially those that, yeah. who, who are in the LGBT plus community or allies of the community. And what we, what we were keen to do is, is not go down the sort of, you know, threatening or lecturing or basically sort of warning people too overtly that actually the club will expel you or you'll get, you'll get prosecuted. But trying to sort of get that right balance between making it clear that actually it is, it is actually a criminal offence. But what we're trying to do is just give you a better understanding of why it's so offensive to the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And, and I think we had, I think we had some success in that. Eric has often talked about, I mean, he's, he's well connected across Manchester United and across a lot of the supporters groups and the fans, the fanzines and all the rest of it. And he's got a, he's got a fine balance between not being seen to lecture Manchester United fans, but at the same time, obviously push, push the cause and push the case for actually why being homophobic at football is really not is really not acceptable. And I think we've made some progress in that. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, I, I thought that, I mean, I thought the communication struck the right balance there. I mean, I have to say, like many people, when I was a teenager and that song was going around, I probably didn't give it a second thought. No. And so, you know, the education piece is, is just, it's important. So people understand why, because much like many other offensive chants that United fans have sung over the years, sometimes yeah. people just don't think about the, the meaning behind the words, and and so that that's one that's one issue. Are there? I, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to get the, a sense of like is Rainbow Devils like a an activist organisation where you have a cause that you're pushing for, a campaigning organisation with politicians and so on, a social organisation, or or all of these things? Are they all behind the mission? Yeah, it's probably a bit of all of that. I mean, we're not we haven't particularly done a political engagement. I mean, obviously, there are some Manchester United supporters who are members of Parliament. Um, I'm sure. Sure. But we haven't specifically gone out to try and uh, sort of politicise anything in that in that sense. But yeah, we we are a campaigning organisation in the sense that we want football to be seen to be open to all. Diversity is really important. Nobody should be made to feel uncomfortable because of who they are, what their sexuality is, from going to football matches. And we've got we've got members of the at the supporters club now and 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 on the committee who'd stopped going to football a long time ago because they just felt it wasn't for them anymore you know it wasn't comfortable it's not about not being able to hold hands with your same sex partner at a football match or something like that i mean although that's quite a nice thing to be able to do if you want to without feeling that you you're going to be somehow discriminated against or abused but I think it was more just that general tenure around football i mean you refer to it yourself in terms of some of the some of the songs, some of the chants, some of the, you, you'd get that somebody falling over and get up, you, you know, yeah, the word I was yeah. going to use. And, and so I think we're an organisation that wants to push the cause of football being for everybody, for equality, for everybody to feel comfortable going to football, being involved in football. We do that, obviously, uh, from a Manchester United point of view with, the, with our supporters group. 
uh, and working with other supporter group, supporters groups and the club. We're also part of the bigger movement, Pride in Football. So we talk a lot of the time with a lot of the other football clubs representatives as well about what they're doing, what we can learn from them. Are they doing things we're not doing? What's their journey been like? Actually, one of the things about lockdown that was really, which was really good was because we were all watching football from home and practically all the games were on TV because nobody mm. could actually go to them, to the games. We, we were doing a lot of pre-match engagement as a, as a group with this sort of LGBT right. group from from West Ham or from Arsenal or from Manchester City, you know, Canal Street Blues and Gay Gooners and all the rest of it. And it, that was really good. It's, we've sort of, I guess what we've tried to do is replicate that now more in person at, at games. Yeah. Which sometimes is, is hard, in a way, sometimes a bit harder to organise. But So it's a shame we've lost the online thing in a, a little bit because that, that worked really well. But yeah, but just, just really sort of talking to other, other groups so we can understand what, what, what more we can do, how we can jointly further this cause. And then obviously representing our views to the, to the FA, to the Premier League, through the club or, di- or, direct, or directly. I mean, I went to, I represented the Rainbow Devils at, at Stamford Bridge, probably about, a, well, it's before that Chelsea game. Um, so yeah. probably about two months ago now, something like that. And it was a really good event, actually. The FA were there, the Met Police, the Premier League. Uh, football in pride, obviously Chelsea pride, representatives of other groups, cop out from Liverpool. And, and we were all just really sort of sharing uh, experiences and the, and the police were talking about what they're doing to approach this issue and how they're dealing with it. And the same, you know, obviously with Premier League and FA. So it's, it's, so it's a long answer to your question, but it's, it's all of that really. It's campaigning, yeah. it's, it's about inclusivity, it's about organising social events for supporters. And, it, and it's just about making everybody feel that they can be involved in football. And some people argue, why do you need a, why do you need a group? Well, who, who's saying you're not involved in football? You can go to a football match if you want to go to a football match. Why are you any different? And obviously, obviously the experience is what well, it has been different for a lot of people over a long period of time. And that's what we've been trying to change over a long period of time. One thing I wondered, is there a difference between the men's game and the women's game here? Because there certainly is in terms of the players. I mean, probably half the England squad are out yes. um, who are going to the Women's World Cup. And that's obviously not the case with the, the men's game. Does that, does that flow through into the supporter experience as well? Is there a different atmosphere there? Well, I, I think so. I mean, I, I have to hold my hands up and say I've only been a bit of a fraud, really. I've only been to one of the women's games, and it was the it was the FA Cup final against Chelsea at Wembley. Oh, you plastic! <laughs> no, I have to admit, I've I've only ever been to away women's games. I've been to quite a lot of them. I haven't I've ever been to Lee Sports Village, so yeah. No, well, I haven't. I mean, I I live in London, but I, so Wembley's about twenty minutes away for me on the tube. So I, I definitely thought well, I can't not go to that. And, and obviously, it was it was it was relatively easy easier to get tickets. Although yeah. you know, the stadium was pretty full, actually. I mean, it wasn't, it yeah, wasn't yeah. far short of capacity. But I've got, obviously, there are other members on the committee. We have somebody who specifically uh, looks after sort of women's teams uh, issues uh, and goes to a lot of the games at, at Lee Sports. And, and, and I think the atmosphere is different. Um, I think you get a lot of families. You get a lot of younger, you know, younger kids there. I think it's much more, it's not, because it's still relatively new to a lot of people and it hasn't got the history of, the rivalries maybe that have built up over the men's game over many, many years. So mm. I think you don't tend to get those offensive songs and chants that can be on any, on any subject. Let's face it, they're not, as, as, yeah. you back, as you back knowledge, they're not, 
they're not always just homophobic. It can be all sorts of different things. But so I think it is a different atmosphere. But you're, you're right. It's interesting in the sense that, I mean, there's obviously players that play for the Manchester United's women's team that are out. But clearly we're, we're, we're still lagging a long, long way behind in the, in the men's game. How do you feel about that? Because I wonder about this. It's probably a question you get a lot, but it's for individuals, isn't it, to decide when they want to come out? Of course, out. But as, a, as a kid, as as a community, there's clearly underrepresentation of of your community amongst the players in terms of them being out. And presumably, there's quite a lot of gay players. Let's. I'm just going to make the assumption. Where does the game go? Because I, I, are we? Which we should be at the point where a player can come out. And I feel like, especially in England, there'd be a an overwhelming amount of support for that player if they if it happened. That's my sense. But what's your sense? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, firstly, I, I totally agree with your, your your first comment, which is this is always a personal uh, decision. Nobody should be forced into it, and it and it's very very difficult for 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 lots of reasons for lots of for lots of people. Once you come out. You never stop coming out anyway. I mean, slightly differently, perhaps, if you're a high-profile footballer where everybody knows you. But it's like, I mean, everybody knew that I meet that doesn't know anything about me. At some point, that might come out into the conversation. So I'm, I'm coming sure. out again to somebody completely new. So it's a never-ending process. But I think it would be fantastic. There, there has to be, statistically, some gay players playing in the Premier League. I, I am sure, you know, that that is the case. and. Every time we, I mean, obviously you have, you have, you have pride uh, month, you have the rainbow laces campaign. There's the period when the captains all wear a rainbow armband, they wear the rainbow laces. And the, the sort of surveys that I've seen where players have been questioned about, about the issues, about other, whether a player would feel comfortable coming out or should feel comfortable coming out to their teammates in the, in the professional game. All those, all the indications are that the players would have absolutely no issue with it at all. Uh, so I think what what holds, what presumably, and this is an assumption, but you know, I think it's a reasonable one. That I think what probably holds back a player coming out is obviously the media coverage and probably a fear that they will be picked on by supporters of other clubs rather than necessarily their own clubs. I mean, I'm sure they'll probably be. I mean, we see enough of it from Manchester United supporters on social media, you know, wherever they yeah. are in the world. I mean, sometimes, you know, we post something and we, we say to each other, don't, don't read the comments, otherwise you'll just get really quite upset about some of them. And obviously it's difficult not to read some of it. Uh, and, and you get a mix of obviously very supportive things, but you get some pretty horrendous stuff as well from, from, from people who claim to be Manchester United supporters and... Um, some of them are here, some of them, but I would say probably the vast majority of them are, are, are overseas supporters. But yeah, I think a player probably would think, why, why would I put myself in that situation? Why would I make myself the target of abuse from supporters of other, of other teams? It's a, it's a distraction the team doesn't need. I, I don't particularly want it. Why would, I, why would I want that sort of attention? And I, I'm sure that must be part of the thinking, because otherwise... You know, all the other support networks seem to be there from the clubs, from the players, from the FA and all the rest of it. In terms of if you are a gay footballer and you want to you want to come out, I think they would get all the support from from those angles. But in terms of how they're treated by various aspects of the media, <clears throat> possibly, and also clearly other supporters. 
And there's no doubt, actually, on a, on a broader issue, without getting political, that actually, I think we're starting to see a little bit of rowing back uh, yeah. here in the UK. And, and, and quite often, you know, what is it? What's that phrase? I know it's more based on economics than anything else necessarily rather than social liberalism. But if the US sneezes, the rest of the world gets a cold. I mean, you've obviously seen yeah. what's been happening in, in, in the country you're living in, in terms of, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's deeply worrying how much rollback there is. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to happen here a little bit. Um, so we're, we're feeling things that things have been moving in such a positive direction for such a long time. But the whole trans issue seems to be skewing things and people and this anti-woke movement and anti-liberalism movement and all the rest mm. of it. So it's always that, that doesn't help the case at the moment, I think, for, for, for footballers coming out. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, as a, as a trans person or whatever, but certainly as a, as a member of the LGBTQ community, it probably makes things a, a little bit more difficult as well. I, I imagine so. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I think you're right that the UK does take a lot of cultural cues from from the US and certainly on the political side of things. There's a lot of copycatting in terms of the tactics, especially on the right of the political spectrum. And and here there's been a, a major, major pushback by the, the the sort of MAGA movement, both legislatively and, and in terms of messaging. And of course, we had that. I mean, listeners may not be aware, but we had a major case in front of the Supreme Court about free speech and whether a hypothetical website designer would could refuse to serve a hypothetical customer with a hypothetical message about a, a, a same-sex wedding. It was totally bizarre and to yeah. shock most of the legal community here, but also the LGBTQ community and, and everyone who's allies to it as well. So yeah, I do worry about that, that rollback and a more kind of general social level and and I hope that doesn't filter down into football as well, when in fact, you know, the football community seems to be getting more progressive around this issue, or at least has been, has made a, a significant effort in recent years yeah, to, yeah. to address issues and, and recognise the, the community. I wanted to get onto some of the ownership issues. And I know um, you can't speak for all fans, and I think that's the same for all fans groups, MUST and the Independent Manchester United Supporters Association and and fanzine of websites and stuff they they represent their broad audiences but you did the survey so so what were the results of that survey and what are your members saying about ownership issues we we basically asked um this was in march we did a survey and we basically asked on on sort of three fronts really we we were asking about who who they would prefer to be new owners or, or what what was their view of the ownership going forward whether that was uh, Ineos and Sir Jim Radcliffe, whether it was whether it was the Qataris, Sheikh Jassim and the nine nine two foundation or or whether indeed the Glazers don't sell and continue to be to be owners. And then also what was how did they see the future of Rainbow Devils under those different sort of, you know, yeah. mo ownership models? And um I mean it was a quite it was quite clear. I think we had about 180 people responded uh, responded to the survey. Um and I think it was basically where where's the figure that I wanted to just just give you the most popular option amongst our members was was by some way was the Jim Radcliffe and Ineos and the least popular option was was for Sheikh Jassim and and the and the Nine Two Foundation 
And then some of the, obviously some views about the Glazers remaining as owners was also a bit unpalatable, but not, not from an LGBTQ plus perspective per se, but obviously I think what was driving, what was driving that was concerns about the attitude uh, in Qatar to LGBTQ plus issues. And whilst sir. There are worse places, I think, when you read about about other places, but it's still not good. And yeah. you know, the death the death penalty still applies to Muslims in, in Qatar for same sex relationships, extramarital right. relationships. But even if you're even if you're not Muslim, you can still go to prison for two to three years for for same sex relationships or or, or or being in a same sex couple. So clearly that's that's not a positive thing and that's, I suspect is one of the, well, not suspect. I mean, it must be one of the things that's yeah. really driven, driven the concern. It's interesting. Go for it. At Paris Saint-Germain, there's been, I mean, it's, it's part of the, the playbook, right? Over at Paris Saint-Germain, uh, there's been all the same sort of campaigns, Neymar in a rainbow shirt, rainbow flags rainbow lace type campaigns and so on and it's uh, it, i think that i do think that fools people into thinking that oh this is okay right so because the message like, it's like don't look at the message in paris or in manchester if it happens look at what actually happens in qatar and the the policies that are impacting the the gay community there and i suspect that would happen at Manchester United, I'd be very surprised if, for example, that the Qatari takeover happens, that they'll pull down that banner. I, I don't think, I, yeah, the, the message is going to be two-faced, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, one message in yeah. Manchester and, and, and another back home. And I think that's Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's one of the things that concerns. I mean, there's other, there's other aspects to it as well, which, you know, the whole, the whole sports washing issue, of, what, of which this is one. But also, I think, and I, I can't read everybody's mind in terms of who responded, yeah. but I think also the fact that we've all been quite critical of the ownership models of other, of other clubs in the Premier League that's, that's clearly skewed, skewed things in terms of how much money has been invested in those clubs, where the money's come from, why, why would those football clubs invest in, in the Premier League, what's what's behind it? Why would those owners rather invest in football clubs in the Premier League and what what lies behind it? And I think there's probably an element of us of some of the supporters feeling it would be very hypocritical to then support our our club being owned. Now, whether he's an individual, you know, businessman or not, which is which is clearly what's been claimed, I think, or whether he's actually part of the Qatari state. And it's I guess that's a bit difficult for us to totally make a a judgment on and so yeah so i said there's probably an element of that too and people genuinely as you pointed out absolutely concerned that okay well fine for them to continue to allow rainbow devils to do what we do fine for them to keep the banner in the ground and all 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 of that but actually we 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 don't ignore what goes on in, in in qatar in that instance and we absolutely don't because There'll be Manchester United supporters of Qatari origin and nationality who can't enjoy the freedoms that we can uh, yeah. here in here in our country. So, and and actually broader than that, obviously much more serious issues in terms of the things we referenced earlier. So, it's a really difficult one. I mean, we've we've been try we've tried not to give a sort of a running commentary on where we think 
things are with this ownership. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying, everybody's a bit fed up with how long it's taking and it's dragging on. You know, yeah. they, they announced this back in November and, and, it's, and here we are in the summer, the transfer window's open. There was still no further forward in knowing whether there's going to be a change of ownership, whether there's going to be the extra, that extra investment and what the future direction of the, of the club is. So I think, I think there's, there's quite a lot of frustration about that. But I think from our point of view, we, we, we put a statement out at the very beginning uh, where we said we, we would have some concerns about some of the purported ownership that, that, that may come about. And, and everybody knew what we, were, what we were referring to. But we know that more broadly amongst the, 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 the Manchester United supporters base globally, that, that there's, a, there's a split. There's a split between people who would absolutely want uh, the Qataris involved because they see that as the, the milk and honey and the promised land and we're, we're going to be able to you know, sure, properly, yeah. Now, yeah. properly now compete with New Manchester City and Newcastle and, you know, and, and what's happened there and, and, and that we'll just be able to go out and buy the best players in the world and we'll, have the, we'll build a completely new stadium and all. So they, 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 and that's understandable. Why would you not want that for your football club? There are others who are much more uh, sanguine about that, don't like the idea of that for the reasons we've sort of talked about and would much more prefer a local Mancunian businessman yeah. to, to, to own the club. But I think, where, I think where the vast majority of people are is that, uh, and this is no reflection on the people who work at the club because we've got a fantastic relationship with them, but I do think that the majority of people want the Glazers to go. I think we've, we've, not, we've not seen the investment over the years, it's well publicised in terms of just how much this their ownership of Manchester United has cost Manchester United. Yeah. So I think there'll be there'll be a a significant level of disappointment amongst the whole fan base if all after all this it ends up that the Glazers turn around and say, you know what, we decided not to sell. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're going to we're going to take a bit more money. We're going to allow one of these American he um, hedge funds hedge to funds. invest some money. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to tart up Old Trafford a little bit. I think everybody would be pretty disappointed with that. It's a live option. It is. It's a live option because the, the economics of the buyout actually don't look that favor favorable when you look at what's happened with US sports franchises at the moment. And I'm sure they will look at that. So the uh, Washington Nationals, is it, that just got sold? I'm maybe getting that wrong. Sorry, American sports fans. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't deal with all the different names of all the teams over here. But it got, just got sold for $6 billion. So that kind of sets a benchmark. And if you look at what Chelsea got sold for, two and a half plus another 1.75 commitment, that's in pounds. Even if that wasn't part of the purchase price, it's a whole package sort of thing, which Todd Bowley is managing to blow very quickly. But it kind of sets... Like if you look at they they own sixty nine percent of the club, and that translates the current bid to about three point six billion pounds. It starts and they split it six ways, and you take capital gains tax off the top. It starts to look like not that much money. I mean, a few hundred million each. I think you could manage to have quite a nice lifestyle on that. But from the Glazers' perspective, they're probably thinking there may be some upside down the line. So. It's, it's why the, the hedge fund or private equity option is still live on the table. It's why Delay is still live. And it's why Jim Ratcliffe, as he said yesterday, is still probably in the bidding process because actually that looks quite attractive because there's some leeway to, to take upside down the line.
Anyway, that's that's a slightly off topic, but I, I'm glad we could reference your survey and 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 some of the sorts of the members there. So, yeah. what does the future look like for Rainbow Devils? Are you do you have do you have plans for the next year or so in in terms of your campaign and your organisation? Yeah, I mean, I think it looks really positive. We we um, we've got the we've got a really good committee in, in in place now. We've all got very clear roles and responsibilities. We've got great engagement with the club. I mean, good example again, and, and this is all credit to, to 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 United as well. I mean, they're they're really starting that their fan engagement is so so much better, and it and it's really improving all the time. So they reached out to lots of different fan groups at the beginning of this week and invited representatives of different groups to be there for the Mason Mount signing and unveiling at, at Carrington and Old Trafford. Uh, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and we had a we had one of our members, Sam Danson from Rainbow Devils. He was there, so that was really good. So we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot more with the club. We've got big ambitions, obviously, to continue to grow uh, the membership. Many more social events, taking part in in Pride. We've got Manchester Pride coming up at the end of at the end of August, and we're we're going to be there in a in a big way with the club's backing and support, and just really continuing to make the make the case for inclusivity for all in football because it i don't think we'll ever i don't think we'll ever have a, a time when we're not needed and we don't need to do that sadly like when i when we set up the um uh, the group that i was involved with in, in my workplace we always said at the beginning you know what we'd like to do is sort of achieve so much that we sort of make ourselves selves extinct because we're not ne- we're not needed anymore you know it's just it's just a it's just a given it's just it's just a thing that everybody understands that diversity and inclusivity is absolutely at the core of, of what we do. You know, people perform better at work. They, they can be themselves at work. They, they don't have to be hiding something all the time. Uh, and diverse teams are, are higher performing teams. And I think that's that you can sort of pull that over into football in, in, in a similar way, in, in a sense. So yeah, big big ambitions. We want to get we want to we want to talk about how we fund ourselves because I think that's a that's a question mark still at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've got some merchandise, but you know we're we're not really funded at the moment. Whether we go to a a sort of a subscription model for members of, of Rainbow Devils, that's a difficult one because what what are people going to get for the get for the money? So whether we whether we can extract some funding from the club or find some other ways of of doing things so that we can. Um, organize more events and, and as I say have a bit more sort of uh, visibility out there for, for the group yeah. but yeah so lots lots of things to do lots of things to look forward to continue to work with other football clubs yeah and be, be out there as uh, as a supporters club for the biggest football club in the country so yeah lots lots of ideas very good yeah well congratulations on the group and its success and getting the banner up in old trafford and the positive messages that you're managing to drive have a lot of fun at pride thank you and uh, thank you very much for coming on talking about some of the issues so we covered supporters issues chanting ownership the role of the lgbt community more generally in football and i feel like we're in a better place but clearly there is still discrimination that happens in our game and, and we want to get rid of all forms of that. And I think your, your group and your organisation are, are doing a really good job of getting that message across. So. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's nice to get the, get the feedback and thank you so much for approaching us and giving me the opportunity to, to talk to you about some of these issues, which are really important. So thanks again. Thanks a lot for joining.